0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Scotland Matters, the Scottish Land and Estates podcast. I'm Carmen McPherson, Membership Communications Manager at SLE. In this episode, you'll hear our policy advisor on rural property, Anna Gardner, in conversation with Steve Wood, Technical Director of Conservation for Narrow Associates. Their discussion covers the purpose of a structural engineer, how the skills a structural engineer possesses complement the work of an architect, and some background into key structures, including, among others, Fairburn Tower and Hill House. So now, let's hand over to Anna and Steve. Through my surveying and
1: construction background, I have developed a real passion for the built environment, and so I'm particularly excited to be joined today by Steve Wood, Technical Director for Conservation at Narrow Associates.
2: Hi, thank you for having me
1: narrow a sector leading structural and civil engineers with real thing going for historically important buildings structures and places steve you are a chartered structural engineer and a conservation accredited engineer your role has seen your teams involved with some of the most historically significant restoration projects in recent times from the borough collection and Glasgow School of Art to projects that our members might be a little bit more familiar with, such as the stables at Dalkeith House and the stables at Cambo House. Then there are those that are further afield, such as Somerset House in London and Sumber Lighthouse in Shetland, not to forget the numerous private homes that have enjoyed your expertise of you and your team. I mean, the projects are so diverse. There seem to be no limit on size, location, age, or indeed type of building. But clearly, there is a very important role for the conservation engineer. Many of the Scottish Land and Estates members are custodians of historically significant buildings and others meet real challenges when planning diversification projects in existing buildings. Can you tell us a little bit more about the significance of your role and what you and your team bring to the table?
2: The role of a structural engineer is to make a building stand up.
1: So how does that work when a building's already standing?
2: Yes, exactly. One might not know why a building is standing up. One might not know what the structure of a building actually is. One might not know how the ravages of time have affected a building. One might be starting with a building which is a total ruin. One might be starting with quite a modern building that looks okay but actually isn't. So the role of an engineer is to understand the thing under consideration. And having understood the thing, well, if one wants to change it or one wants to just repair it to keep it going, well... and to actually establish whether any work needs to be done, we might be brought in on our own because we're dealing with a structure, a bridge or something like that, or invariably, certainly with buildings, we're brought in by an architect because someone wants to do something to a thing.
1: What does the engineer do that the architect can't?
2: Fundamentally, the engineer deals with with structure, but they make a thing stand up. The architect will be all about arranging spaces, dealing with aesthetics, getting services in and about a building. If there is change, the architect might be wanting to consider, oh, if we can just remove this wall, add this here, that sort of thing there. The engineer is there because they understand what the artefact can tolerate.
1: So basically the impact of the, the change. The impact
2: of the thing, the implication of the thing. Strictly speaking, you should get the engineer on at the same time you get the architect on. Actually, sometimes even before, if, if you have a ruin that you're concerned is, is going to fall down, or is, there's a ruin building that actually I want to reuse this thing, the fundamental question is, can it be reused? Well, it's really the engineer who would tell you that, certainly for a big They'll see what is structural, you know, what's holding the thing up. They'll see what the implications are of further deterioration. You know, um, a few stones falling out of this wall, everything else will just come out with it. That sort of thing. You can you can see see the significance of of deterioration. Yeah, they'll be able to tell you. They'll be able to advise you of the impact. You can do that, but it'll mean this sort of thing. Or oh, don't do that; it's too much. A good example is Fairburn Tower which is a building just being refurbished by the Landmark Trust up at the Muir of Ord as holiday accommodation. It is a five or six storey tower house, but when they took it on, it was a complete and total ruin. And Landmark Trust have been considering this building for a long time, but the question they have is, this building's been ruinous for decades, possibly even 100 years. Is it a thing that can be saved? Is it a thing that can be saved sensibly without throwing loads of money at it, or just sensible amounts of money at it? So the first question that was asked of us, and we were brought on by the architect, Simpson and Brown, who we eventually worked with to to do the refurbishment of the building. Can you assess this ruin? Is it going to fall down? Can it be reused? And so on and so forth. Uh, This was back in 2016, and... We concluded, even though we couldn't get to the upper parts of it, and we can only see it from outside and from first floor level, that yeah, it could be saved and what have you. But I don't know if you know the building. Do you know the building?
1: Yeah, it was a it was a proper ruin. Yeah. And if my memory serves me right, it had a massive crack <laughs>
2: yeah, down yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: the side.
2: It's a square tower, originally built as square. And then later on, someone had stuck on a smaller square tower to it, that tower hole which contained a a staircase. So, after the original tower was built and it was being refurbished by, I don't know, a subsequent family member, um, a new stair was built. Over time, the staircase had gone, don't know why, and the um, stair tower itself was all cracking up, massive cracks down up the middle. Um, and it was coming away from the main part of the building. But we were able to understand why that had happened. We were able to satisfy ourselves and everyone else that there wasn't a, a problem of imminent collapse and devise a way that the thing could be saved and brought into reuse. The first thing we did was actually put in a great steel frame inside the door opening into the stair tower just to hold a few stones in place at the bottom of the tower that if they had fallen out the whole thing would have collapsed so I put in the steel frame there and that remained in place up until the day when the contractor got the site and started doing the eventual repair works to it that frame was the one thing which saved the tower I think
1: And I suppose this is where architects are specialists in knowing where their strengths are. So they knew that in order to achieve their objectives, they had to bring in you guys to ultimately work out, okay, is this salvageable? Is this actually going to come to fruition?
2: Something like that, which is a total ruin. It's about meeting the modern requirements of, well, the 21st century in fabric, important fabric, Fairbone Towers category listed, Um, so integrating the modern requirements of heating, ventilation, decoration, moving around the building, bringing all those into the, the existing fabric. Our role is to deal with the structural side of things, satisfying ourselves that the surviving parts of the building the walls and things were sound structurally capable and able to to you know the building can survive for hundreds of years more now 500 years more no reason why it shouldn't be able to sometimes you have to repair a building so Fairbone Tower case in point massive cracks at the face of it if, if you look at the building on the internet you'll see these cracks they you can't quite see them from, from space but they're big cracks
1: When you first laid eyes on this, you saw the cracks. What were your first thoughts when you knew what the
2: ultimate proposal was? First thought was, if those stones fall out from above that doorway, the whole thing's coming down. (laughs) So, yeah, we put a frame in. Funnily enough, we put the steel frame in. It's quite a big, chunky steel frame. Everyone looking at it goes, ooh, that's a big steel frame. Don't like that. Do we have to keep that? The point about the big steel frame was, it looked intentional it looked meant and it looked like it was doing some serious work so people take it seriously if we had put some scaffolding in well you know people might not maintain it and people might not take it seriously but yeah anyway next thing was well the stair tower is is coming apart from the main building why is that and what to do about it you could see the walls of the stair tower weren't tied into the main building Probably the original staircase was holding the walls together. So the obvious thing seemed to be, given that the building needs a new staircase, we'll use a staircase to hold the walls of the stair tower together and tie it back to the existing. So we did that by recreating the staircase in the stair tower out of concrete. It's a replica of the original. It goes all the way up the stair tower. It's a rigid spine a good strong spine to the stair tower some of the treads are cast into the walls of the stair tower to grab the stair tower and then the landings are tied into the main building everything is knitted together everything is held back and yeah it worked very well structurally it worked very well and as a a sculptural thing it's a delight
1: so it must be very rewarding when you come up with a solution and obviously in this case you're, you you know you anchor the staircase to the walls mm. and essentially save the tower which then is the key thing to making it usable again that whole solution forming mindset approaching the puzzle investigation of how are we going to do this you've got to to be a very well-tuned problem solver when you face something as as challenging as a ruin, that, as you say, would only have taken a couple of stones coming out (laughs) to fall down.
2: I've always thought that to be a good conservation engineer, well, not even a conservation engineer, but to be an engineer who deals well and sensibly, who deals with existing buildings sensibly and deals with them well, it's a mindset. A lot of the time it's not about the application of modern design codes and british standards and things like that it's a real it's i can only describe it as a mindset because it's an understanding of what the thing is and what's gone on before and always asking the question why why is this doing this why is that doing that why has that happened and the thing with fairburn is very easy the main tower you know it's a castle it's part of a castle but it's had something stuck onto it later on, the stair tower. But that thing was not stuck on very well, actually. They didn't bother to tie the walls together. The foundations weren't great. So it's quite obvious what was going on. Yeah, There were lots of clues. In the lots of clues. If you know yeah. where to look, lots of clues. But it's not always like that. My favourite job, you mentioned it at the head, my favourite job actually wasn't a narrow job. It was a job that I was involved in as a as a kid engineer down in london somerset house do you know somerset house on on the thames yeah built in about 1780 for civil servants by the government in use by the civil service for hundreds of years i think they eventually moved out in the 1990s 2000 something like that and taken over by a trust to be used for various i mean it's a huge sight but anyway where i worked at the time Our team was asked by the Trust to give an opinion on a floor which was really bent like a banana. Winding back a bit, this floor is in a space of the building on the wing of the building which faces the Thames. First floor level, very prominent position right in the middle of the wing behind the main portico. When Somerset House was built it was one of the principal rooms in there but over time It had been divided up, subdivided up into lots of small spaces, corridors, that sort of thing. And the Trust thought, if we can reclaim this room, big, you know, money generating source for us. So they took all the petitions out, which were clearly lightweight and not structural. They had themselves an engineer to determine that they weren't structural. They took them away, but they found lots of hangers inside these petitions, lots of them. Eight, or so. So hangers that were essentially holding up the floor, holding up the floor from beams which had been put in in the ceiling of the floor. Lots of investigations had been done, found that the hangers were holding up beams of the floor which had grossly distorted. And proposals had been: oh, we have to strengthen this floor. It's, it's far too weak. It needs to be strengthened. Needs to be stiffened. And the only way to do that is by putting beams underneath it. Didn't want to do that because underneath this space was another room, a grand room that had been decorated before and what have you, grade one listed building, and any beams that were put in this would have destroyed the ceiling of this space and things. So what to do? Faced with this space with a grossly distorted floor, all opened up, we could see it all. We could see all floorboards had been lifted up and we could see, you know, at the face of it, it looked a bit unusual didn't know quite what's going on so we started drawing out what was going on drawing out to understand the floor structure got to understand the floor structure realized the floor structure was a bit of a a complicated thing but one which could work and why was this thing why is this like this why was it built
1: what was the original intention yeah exactly you
2: know someone's obviously thought about something here and it was you know this is this is a building which was had been designed and overseen by the leading architect of the day, William Chambers. So he was the surveyor to the government. I don't know his formal title, but he was, you know, the the British government's top architect. And he oversaw the design of this thing. And the contractors who worked on it were all leading contractors and, and what have you. So this is done with intent. So clearly someone had a plan and it would have worked. I said, well, what if, you know, this is a bit complicated. What if, what if they'd assumed this? So we looked at that. Oh, if they'd, if they'd assumed this, yeah, yeah, that works, that works. And then ultimately we got to a point whereby if these beams were sitting in the ends of these walls here and if the beams were wedged in place, if the beams were held down by the massive columns of the porticoes where the, where the beam beams buried into the walls, then the thing would work so we, we, we asked to have some holes opened up in the walls beneath the portico columns to see actually were the beams being held down by the portico columns open it up and sure enough there are some wedges in there folding wedges which would be work loose over time so like if these wedges had been in place the floor would have been plenty strong enough plenty stiff enough and no need to install all these hangers and what have you so We came, our proposal for strengthening this floor was just put the wedges back.
1: Quite a simple solution.
2: Yes, yes. Quite a convoluted way to get there. But yes, quite a simple solution. i crow about it a little bit because clearly we weren't the first engineers to look at this floor. Two lots of hangers had been put in, different ages. Um, The first lot were raw type, well, iron hangers. The second lot were steel hangers, so that's 50 or so years between them. And then other engineers before us had been asked to look at this thing. none of them had actually gone back to their first principles and really understood what was going on and yeah, it's a bit odd that they built the floor like they did, but it it worked as a as a scheme, and it just fell down in the detail.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's a real lesson in treating the cause rather than the symptom
2: exactly yeah yeah good yeah.
1: methodical curiosity
2: yeah, it is it's um it's detective work actually, and getting into the. It would have worked. It did work. Why isn't it working now?
1: I mean, ultimately, you must have reduced quite a lot of potentially damaging intervention. Mm. And I mean, that must have had a pretty good impact on the budget in the long run.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you'd pay us a, a fair fee for doing all that research. You absolutely would. But you would save. Oh, significant multiples of what you paid us on actual cost of doing repair works which you know probably wouldn't have been needed anyway the disruption everything you've saved a lot it's a perennial argument but if you do need to pay people to think and, and stitch do something in time properly, yeah exactly yeah. that exactly that exactly that yeah
1: yeah. But, but it is, I mean, just, just, just hearing the, the, the story of just the thinking that goes on, I mean, you just need such an open mindset. And that just seems to be so critical to sort of, sort of release all the solutions. The Somerset House problem was basically solved by coming to understand the original intention of the architect and the builders back in the day. Mm. There must be other challenges you face, which maybe are more about the design than the structure. I mean, what's your philosophy when the focus is perhaps more on repair and aesthetics than actual, pure hardcore engineering?
2: You still have to go back to an understanding of what the original was, and um, you do still have to go back to if this thing has got into difficulty, why has it got into difficulty? You know, a thing could stand there. As a structure, it could stand there for 15 minutes, and that might be proof enough. If the thing's been standing there for 50 years, that probably is pretty good evidence that someone got something right. But there are times when you do have to intervene. I think a good way of answering a question is modern buildings, concrete buildings, is quite a good one. Can I talk about concrete buildings? You
1: can talk about concrete. Concrete's been around for quite a long time now. Yeah, I think I think that, that I think that,
2: that counts. Yeah, that <laughs> well, I. Uh, Gala Ferry Dean Rovers Football Club in Gala Shields,
1: which wouldn't be your average SLE type property, no, but no. it's got it's it's cur- you know it's a curiosity there, isn't it? It
2: is the structural form we could only achieve in concrete was as much part of it as the actual surface textures of the concrete, and there the surface features of the concrete were as much a part of the aesthetic as the form, so. The concrete was cast in timber moulds. So you can see the wood graining cast into the concrete. You can see the joint marks cast into the concrete. You can see the nails cast into the concrete. But that's a very deliberate thing. The building was set out by the boards. That was a building which was getting into problems, not structurally, but bits of concrete were falling off. Which obviously isn't a good thing, having bits of concrete falling off. But Fans wouldn't be that keen. No, the fans. <laughs> no, it might distract them from the football, though. But the concrete that was falling off there was not really a structural problem. But uh, you don't want to have bits of concrete falling off. But also, as the concrete's falling off, it's exposing the reinforcing bars and things, which clearly isn't a good idea. So we work there with we have to repair the concrete. But the philosophy there is: what do you repair the concrete with? And are the issues of aesthetics and compatibility and so on and so forth are they relevant to that building as they are to a Palladian mansion or a Scottish baronial pepper pot somewhere in the country? And, well, they are. They absolutely are. In the same way that with a stone building you want to be choosing stones and mortars which are compatible with the existing masonry, well... With the gala, you want to be choosing concrete repair mortars that are compatible with the original concrete. And, and this is a philosophical bit, I thought you want to be recreating the the, the appearance of the repaired concrete to match the existing concrete in exactly the same way that you would be doing with, with your 19th century or 18th century or 15th century building. So I suppose it's no different to sort of casting the
1: cornissing so it matches
2: no different at all but the funny thing is i think it was built in 1965 you know those buildings are poorly thought of recently aren't they and it's only now that people are really engaging with oh this brutalism is actually quite nice isn't it in the same way the victorians didn't used to like the georgian stuff and then the edwardians didn't like the victorian stuff subsequent generations don't like what well, what their parents did, did they? Sort of so you know, it's only now that people are coming around to this brutalism thing. It's actually, it's, you know, it's beautiful. It, it is beautiful, and it and it and it needs the same care and attention in looking after it. Well, A, it should be saved, and B, you need to save it using the same techniques and the same rigor and the same care as as you do with with everything else. I
1: mean, it's it is very interesting hearing you talk about compatibility because i suppose what comes hand in hand with innovation is you know that whole excitement of you know what's thought to be problem solving and developing wonderful solutions to to, to longly held sort of concerns and and things my role at Scottish lantern estate is very involved with energy efficiency and associated retrofit of traditional buildings I mean, while innovation can be good, it can also be not so good and ultimately, I suppose, damage a property's fabric. I mean, you must have some pretty good examples where you've perhaps had to undo damage or sort of try and problem solve where innovation has been embraced, but perhaps not with the intended results.
2: Yeah, yeah, we do. Best example at the minute is the Hill House. Gosh, that's very contemporary. Yeah, it is. McIntosh's Hill House in Helensburgh Designed by Charles Rennie McIntosh. Wonderful piece of architecture. But essentially, it's, it's a traditional building, but it was designed and conceived at a time when Portland cement products were appearing on the market and were being advertised to have all these different properties and what have you. And one of them was if you were to do rough casts in Portland cement, that would deal with all your water ingress problems. Use this. You, you don't, you so basically
1: creating a sort of waterproof envelope around yeah, the building. Yeah, yeah,
2: so you bought this stuff on all your walls, all outside, and it'll stop all the waters getting in. So Macintosh embraced this wholesale, and his building is conceived without any of the traditional details you get on a traditionally built building that deal with getting water away from it. So there's no coats on the wall heads, there are no window sills. there are no, you know projecting courses of stone above your windows, all that sort of thing. He did away with all those details, but the building is built, to all intents and purposes. It is a traditional building, stone walls, timber floors, that sort of thing. The rough cast cracked, It's a problem with cement, it's quite a brittle material, it cracks. Um, Water can get in through the cracks, can't get out through the cement because it's impermeable, and you have a problem with water ingressing the building. And from pretty much day one, the hill house has been affected by damp problems. So the question is, how do you solve those problems whilst being true to the concept, the architectural concept, and how you deal with authenticity, originality of materials, all that sort of thing. Also understanding how the long-term exposure to water, moisture, dampness has affected the rest of the materials of the building how it's affected the stonework, how it's affected all the timber work. There's a lot of timber, there's a lot of rot in at, at the um, the hill house. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. So it's
1: probably going to keep you out of mischief for, for quite a few more months. Yeah,
2: that's not just us. That's We're led by a team. You know, it's the, national, the property is owned by the National Trust for Scotland. They've commissioned us with LDN architects, working with them. Uh, Historic Environment Scotland are assisting. We have... Um, it's taking everyone, yeah. everyone.
1: And at the moment it's shrouded in this sort of tent. Yeah. And it's, very, I mean, it's pretty impressive the way the National Trust Office have managed to keep it open so visitors can still go and yeah. see it. Yeah, And I suppose that way visitors can also understand bigger picture about design and how sometimes design actually has a conflict with the engineering side and everything. Yeah, it's it's a,
2: I mean, you know, the primary purpose of the box is to keep the rain off the building, yeah. let it dry out. It's the first time it's been able to dry out since Do you know how many September.
1: years it's going to be on it, do you think?
2: It's been five years already. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be down within five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing with the, the box is to get the rainwater off it, let it dry out, but advantage was taken in, you know, you can walk up there. It's got the public access all the way up to roof level and all the way around the building, which obviously is it's a, it's unusual. Mm-hmm. But also the box is far enough away from the building so that Uh, A contractor can build a scaffold, actually against the walls of the building, and do the work. And you know the visiting public can see that work going on whilst it's happening. So, yeah.
1: So it sounds like it's actually a a bucket list thing to do while while works are in operation. You get an insight that you'll never get the opportunity to see if the project was all finished. So that's
2: true. That's true. And you, I mean, you know, you you really see, you can see what the architect was thinking. Yeah. With things you just get points of view that you don't really get unless you're the architect drawing it out from a you know an imaginary viewpoint and things yeah it's 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 quite something
1: that's fantastic it's been really good to to have you here today and really appreciate the time you've taken to sort of use some news over your projects and and share the the sort of thinking that goes into to being an engineer because i think there's probably a bit of a misconception that engineers is all it's all about figures and calculators and And yeah, uh, whereas actually mindset, curiosity, Mm. all of these things probably have a much larger role than, than one could imagine. Thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Thanks to Anna and Steve for their insight. You can find out more about Narrow Associates via their website, and a link to this is in the description of this episode. There are also links to the case studies mentioned, Fairburn Tower, Hill House and Galaferry Dean Rovers Football Club. Before we wrap up, a quick reminder, tickets for the Helping It Happen Awards 2023 are still available to purchase now. The Helping It Happen Awards is the most prestigious event in SLE's calendar year, showcasing and celebrating the best of rural Scotland. You can book your tickets to join us at the Sheraton Grand Hotel and Spa in Edinburgh on the 5th of October 2023 via the SLE website. Don't wait too long, though. Ticket sales close on the 17th of September. Please remember that members of Scottish Land and Estates have access to dedicated support, information and advice over the phone and via email from our policy team. Please feel free to get in touch. As always, I hope you've enjoyed listening to Scotland Matters. Tune in next time to hear Sarah-Jane Lang and Simon Ritchie discussing the new programme for government. And if you aren't already subscribed to Scotland Matters on your preferred streaming platform, now is the perfect time to do so. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll have episodes covering a wide range of topics and featuring a variety of guests. We hope you'll join us again next time.